0: Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Today, I'd like to welcome Phil Stanley to the podcast. Hello. Nice to have you. Phil is a distinguished professor in the religious department and focuses on Indo-Tibetan Buddhism and Tibetan language. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> my love. <laughs> <laughs> quite, a, quite a thing you got there. Um, do you want to go ahead and um, just introduce yourself a little bit?
1: Okay. I have a doctorate in religious studies from the University of Virginia. My thesis advisor, doctoral advisor, was the famous uh, Dr. Jeffrey Hopkins. I began studying Buddhism uh, the first summer of Naropa. It was institute at the time, now Naropa University, back in 1974. Mm -hmm. So I've been uh, meditating uh, for over 40 years and uh, have been teaching over 35 years in Buddhism. Uh, After five years of coursework... Uh, At the University of Virginia, and going off to do my uh, dissertation work, I got a Fulbright scholarship to do that. I'm a Fulbright scholar. At the end of that five years, also, an Atarta Institute was founded uh, which was dedicated to translating the entire Tibetan monastic university system into English. And I wow. attended the first year. And now 22 t- years later, um, I'm the dean of academic affairs for Natark mm. Institute in charge of training teachers and authorizing them for by the lineage. We ha- um, mm. It was founded by Punla Phrapache, Dzogchen Rinpoche, and Acharya yeah. Lama Timba both graduates of the Shadra program. So I'm deeply involved in translating um, the and uh, teaching the Mm. monastic university system of Tibetan Buddhism, the entire curriculum, normally nine years. We can do it quicker than that in the West. Very cool.
0: Awesome. Well, we're really excited to have you and kind of hear your wisdom. What are you going to be speaking about today?
1: Uh, I'd like to speak about uh, one of my favorite class topics. It's uh, the relationship between sense perceptions, concepts, and emotions, this such an exploration leads to surprising insights. Uh, students are often uh, dumbfounded by aspects of the, the exploration that uh, we think we know what sense perceptions are and concepts and so forth. But mm. if you start looking into it, it can be quite surprising. Yeah. Can't wait to hear yeah. it. Okay, So let's uh, start with sense perceptions. I'd like to ask you to pick an object near you, mm. in, in front of you, I typically use an orange when I'm doing this with students. I'll use okay. a, a cup here. Okay. Um, so pick an object. Don't touch it. Uh, I'm going to ask you to pick it up later on. But for now, okay. don't, don't touch it. So pick something that you could pick up that's within range. Now, I'd like to ask you to, as it were, tell me about the object. You, you know a great deal about it. For example, with an orange, you know, what's its shape? What's mm-hmm. the shape of the object that you're looking at? You know, if you're looking at a pen, well, it's long and oblong. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking at a cup, it's sort of squat and um, vertically straight maybe, but curved if you look down on top of it. Mm-hmm. So it's got a shape. And if I ask you what its weight, you know, is it really heavy or is it really light? Could you mm-hmm. pick it up? If I ask you what its texture, you know, has it got a smooth texture or rough texture? Again, don't touch anything. We're just, you know, talking about the object. Yeah. How brittle is it? If you dropped it on a hard surface, would it bounce? Would it shatter? <laughs> what's, its, uh, what's it made of? You know, Is it made out of ceramic or plastic or metal, wood, paper, all of the above? <laughs> uh, what's its texture like? You know, and mm-hmm. uh, its temperature. If you mm-hmm. were to pick it up, say you picked a hot coffee mug that you just came and sat down with coffee. Well, you would anticipate it would be warm, yeah. maybe even hot. Or if you just took out, you have an orange from the fridge. You'd expect it to be cold and so Mm -hmm. forth. So now, uh, and also what's its internal structure? Like an orange has a lot of structure, a lot of, you know, white pulp and seeds and this juicy, succulent, sweet uh, juice. Or or if it's a uh, computer you're looking at, say you picked a laptop, uh, it's a mass of parts. You know, the interior, you know, it's got a hard drive, it's got a memory chip, it's got a processing mm-hmm. chip, you know, all yeah. this stuff about the, the insides of it. Okay. Yeah. So now the question is, what is it that your sense perceptions giving you? Mm. We have five senses, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which of those senses are you engaging the object with? Mm. Well, it's basically the eye consciousness. You know, you you aren't touching it, you aren't licking it, you know, (laughs) tasting it or whatever. So what is it that your eye consciousness gives you?
2: Mm -hmm. What
1: is eye consciousness experience? And it can be boiled down to two things, color and shape. Yep. And in, in the, tradition, the Abhidharma tradition, is called the sort of philosophical tradition of early Buddhism. Um, they, some people argue shape is really just um, difference in color, that there isn't shape separate from color. So they say, mm. I only sees color. Mm. So anyway, you have this sort of view. So, but wait a moment. Uh, you were telling me all sorts of things about this object. Mm-hmm. When you look at this object, you don't just think you're seeing color and shape. Mm-hmm. You you f- you feel it as a 3D embodied object. Yeah. For example, if I if I threw I, if I have this orange here and I threw it at you, mm-hmm. or tossed it to you gently, say,
2: yeah.
1: um, do you feel like color and sh- you're you're experiencing color and shape as this, as the color gets bigger and bigger, it gets closer and closer to you.
2: Yeah.
1: Do you experience that that's color and shape? Well, no. You you feel very much that it's a three D object with a certain amount of weight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if I threw a spiky metal ball at you, you know, you would be running like crazy away yeah. from me. If I threw and tossed an orange to you like, oh I love oranges, and you would mm-hmm. catch it. You know you can catch it. Yeah. Whereas the spiky metal ball. So you're not seeing the color and shape of a spiky metal ball. You you experience this rich, complex object coming towards you. Mm-hmm. But wait a moment, your senses only give you color and shape. Yeah. You're not experiencing the weight, the dangerous spikiness, mm-hmm. the, whether it's soft, say mm-hmm. I'm throwing a snarf ball at you, you know, one of those real soft foamy things. Yeah. You don't f- uh, your senses are not giving you that information. So where's that coming from? So the basic proposition here is that based on your memory, you interpret the sense data, which in this case is surely the color and shape, and you're attributing all sorts of uh, qualities to the object. So, but do you experience that as you're projecting it? Well, you know, definitely not. We experience it as if all these qualities are coming from the object. So this is this fundamental. Uh, trick of the mind, as it were, is that we project all sorts of qualities onto the world, and then we experience those projections as if they're coming from the object. Mm. This is a bit yeah. shocking, right? Yeah. And and then when we get to a discussion of emotions and people, you get this issue in spades. You know, you're projecting all sorts of interpretive qualities onto the people, but do they have a referent object, to use the technical language of epistemology, the the study of how we know? is there a referent object? Like if I say I have a concept of an orange and I have an orange in front of me, is there a referent object? Well, yeah, there's an orange there. Or if you're looking at your laptop, is there a referent object for your concept laptop? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. But there's this question of all the the qualities that you're projecting onto the object, are they actually in the object? Yeah. Okay. So this gets to the issue of how accurate are our concepts? Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: in a moment, I'm going to ask you to pick up the object that you were looking at. So don't touch it yet. Okay. And what I want you to think, to ponder and to experience is what is your expectation of what the weight of the object will be? Mm-hmm. And then I want you to pay close attention to what the actual weight of it is. When you pick it up, what does it actually feel like? Yeah. And then in particular, is there a disjunction? Is there a difference?
2: Mm.
1: Now, we generally don't like to experience disjunction between our, our interpretations. And so we yep. I would suggest that we're often suppressing the fact that there's this regular day, moment to moment, almost experience of the physical world where we're projecting and interpreting this, these little differences or big differences. Yeah. And we don't like to acknowledge it. So I'd like to ask you to really be sort of honest, as it were. Really pay attention to how close was your expectation of the weight. Okay, so look at your object. Think about what it would feel like. You can also think about what the texture might feel like, what the temperature is. And then when you're ready, pick it up. So... Now, at this point, if we had a group of us together, uh, you get a surprising range of reactions that some people will say, "Wow, it <clears throat> was way heavier than I thought or way lighter," yeah. or some people say, "Well, it was really close, but a little off," and some people don't see any difference
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and it's surprising that there's, there there can be sometimes a fair number of people who don't see a difference they they sort of don't allow themselves to experience the i would suggest yeah, and we're pretty good at this you know we're often quite close and functionally it doesn't make a difference like if you look at a cup you know you can pick it up unless somebody's mm-hmm. playing a trick like glued it to the table or something yeah <laughs> or you you go to pick up a chair and it's way heavier than you thought and you so i can't pick this yeah. thing up you know yeah. so some, or your
0: friend's playing a trick on you and is acting like something's heavy gives it to you and then all of a sudden you're just like whoa
1: have you ever seen those rocks that are real bulbous, but they're very light. They're incredibly light. And yeah. you think, oh, I'm going to pick this up, and then it almost flies up and yeah. hurts the Yeah, surprising. Yeah, so some objects mm. really trick us. They are really, like, yeah. really surprised. So, um, so the proposition here is that in ordinary sense experience, in fact, um, you know, 98% of what we're, uh, when we're engaging with objects, 98% of what we're perceiving is our projection. Yeah. And that the projections are often only approximately correct. Mm. And this is a structural feature of concepts. Mm -hmm. Um, In the epistemology of Buddhism, they talk about generally characterized phenomena and specifically characterized phenomena. So a concept of of banana is a generally characterized phenomena. And then you have all sorts of specifically characterized bananas, the actual bananas. And it's called a generally characterized because it can't possibly capture all the nuance and t- like the texture of a particular banana. Some of them are firmer, some mm-hmm. of them are sweeter, some of them are softer, you know, it's just this uh, tremendous variation. And even mm-hmm. one end of a banana can be more ripe than the other end. Yeah. And you have this concept of banana and that can't possibly capture the actual qualities of the specifically characterized banana.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, concepts from this point of view are inherently approximate. They're coarse. They really can't capture the complexity yeah. like consider the concept taste of a strawberry
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the actual taste of a strawberry. I mean it's it's incredible the taste of a strawberry,
2: yeah,
1: and your concept of it just pales beside the actual experience. Mm-hmm. but then some strawberries are very bland and some of them are rotten. you know there's all this variation that happens, yeah. so concepts can't mm-hmm. possibly uh, capture all of that. Now, another question is and this will sound odd, where do you experience objects? Where do you experience your sense objects? Now, you might say, well, obviously, I experience them out in the world. Like, I'm sitting here looking at David, and he's over there. He's clearly over there, right? Hello. Hello. (laughs) Um, But if you ask, well, wait a moment, use science for a moment. There's ambient light in the room. It bounces off the object in front of you. So you've Mm -hmm. been looking at your laptop or your pencil or your cup. The light comes towards the eye faculty interacts with the eye faculty, mm-hmm. and then you have a mental experience of the sense perception.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So to explore this, take your index finger from one hand and stick it up in front of your nose, about five, six, eight inches, not too far away, and look through the finger. Don't look at the finger. This helps against a white you know, uh, uniform background. Don't look at the finger, but through it. How many fingers do you see? One. Really? You have two eyes giving you two images. Aren't there two images there? Don't look at the finger. Look through the finger. It's like a
0: fuzzy two.
2: They're they're fuzzy
1: (laughs) two. Right, right. Okay. Uh, And if you wiggle them, both of them move. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is occurring in the mind. You are experiencing two images given to you by your sense faculty. Mm -hmm. The entire room before you is occurring as a mental experience. You are not experiencing it out in the room. Yeah. Now we've learned to correlate it, you know, babies this is part of the what babies go through. They they experience this flood of of uh, sense perceptions and they have to figure mm-hmm. out, oh my gosh, it corresponds to objects out there. Yeah. Okay. Now, so we have to describe sense experience then. You have a mental experience of the sense input given by your five senses. Mm-hmm. You interpret the heck out of it based on memory, you know, like 98% of what you think you're seeing is actually being contributed by your mind. And then you project even the sense perception, the sense sensation out into the room. Mm -hmm. You're not actually seeing the room out there, but you've learned if you walk over to the right side of your room, you'll bump into something sooner or later than if you walk to the left side. You know, you've learned to interpret this way. Mm -hmm. And we really believe our interpretive process. Mm. So we're really... Uh, have a lot of feedback that, oh, there is a chair over there. If I walk over there, I can pick up a chair. And sure enough, if you walk over there, you'll have the tactile experience of bumping into a chair Mm -hmm. and so forth. Yeah. So, (laughs) quite surprising. (laughs) It's interesting to think, too, if if you are very
0: familiar with a room and you walk into a room that you are familiar with and someone played a trick on you and moved it around and you're Mm -hmm. walking around, you might have a little bit of trouble navigating the space in which Mm -hmm. you're familiar Mm
1: -hmm. with. And at night, you know, if the lights are out, yeah. you expect things to be in certain places, and then yep. sometimes you're, you're shocked, you mm-hmm. know, that you stumble over it. <laughs> Another dimension of this is uh, when we classify objects, we use concepts to classify things. Like when I said bananas before. There's a, you know, if you go to a grocery store, you can go around looking and and say that group of things over there are bananas. Or if you say fruit, what's in the fruit category, you go to the grocery store and there's all sorts of stuff that you include under the category of fruit. So if you um, had a collection of objects, say like a, um, a round orange, a round plum, a round rock, an oblong rock, a long, oblongish, say, pen or Mm -hmm. pencil, sticks, a stalk of celery that's long, a carrot that's long, Mm -hmm. a tennis ball, okay? very tiny stones, very large stones, big piece of fruit, like the whole stalk, uh, the whole thing of um, celery, whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay, now if you ask someone to categorize these, if you have a group of people and you say, okay, would you categorize these into groups? related groups, okay. So one person might put all the stones together, and another person might put all the fruit together, Mm -hmm. and non-fruit and non-stones like the pencils and chalk or whatever long oblong logic would be a third group. Okay. Okay. Now, if you looked at each group, like the the stone group has some some large round objects some small round objects mm-hmm. some long smallish they may be small but oblong stones mm-hmm. so if you say well this is these are all stones they're the same quote same but if you look at them they're all different mm-hmm. every one of them is different you look at the fruit
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know the plum is not the orange if you look at the non fruit non rocks you know the yes. pencil is not the pen and so forth and so on mm-hmm. okay so if you ask another person to group them well another person groups them like large objects together mm. he puts a big stone with a soccer ball right? yeah. and then he puts the pencil with the celery and the carrot because mm-hmm. they're long he's yeah. doing it on shape and size say. Mm. But again, within the category, if you look at all the, the round things, well, t- uh, soccer ball is pretty different from a large stone. But mm-hmm. conceptually, this is what we do. When mm-hmm. we classify things, basically the process is that conceptuality suppresses the difference within the things in the class mm-hmm. and accentuates the differences with the things outside of the class. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. So if okay. you think about how we categorize people then, you're suppressing similarities and accentuating differences when you do that.
2: Mm.
1: You know, for one thing, you know, if you're, if you're a racially prejudiced person and you say, I'm X race and you're not, mm-hmm. well, you're all humans, <laughs> you know. Yes, you know, th- yes. you're suppressing a similarity by accentuating a difference. Mm. So this is a fundamental characteristic of concepts. Whenever you categorize anything like large round objects, you're going to suppress that the large round stone is not a soccer ball. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, there's a basic uh, limitation, even mistakenness, about concepts. Yeah. They produce a type of error whenever you apply them. They're useful mm-hmm. to us. If I say, uh, could you get me a spoon? I am st- I need to stir the pot. It doesn't help me so much to bring me a knife, right? So the concept's yeah. useful. but. there's a basic uh, way in which the concepts are are falsifying the actual uniqueness of everything. Actually, everything ends up being incredibly unique, specifically characterized phenomena. Yeah. And concepts uh, really suppress that that variation. So when you get to, well, uh, so maybe step back and review a bit. So the way we perceive objects... The sense perception is a very tiny bit of the input of what we think we're experiencing. We're projecting Mm -hmm. both the sense experience and the concepts about the sense object are occurring within the mind. We project it out into the world as Mm if we are seeing it directly in the world. And then the concepts we apply themselves are suppressing difference between and accentuating difference between Mm -hmm. things inside and outside the class. Mm -hmm. And we really believe this process. We strongly believe this process. Mm. (laughs) so when you get to talk to interactions with people with humans and we start doing this interpretive projection process like you're walking down the street and you see somebody coming towards you with dreadlocks and they got a t-shirt with a marijuana plant on it or you see somebody walking towards you with a three-piece suit or you see someone in athletic tights with a yoga mat strapped on their back (laughs) Mm -hmm. or you see a policeman walking towards you Mm -hmm. you're mind is producing all sorts of interpretive interpretations of these people and projecting these qualities onto them. And then you perceive those projections as coming from the person, you know, for example, maybe the person, and you're sort of anti-capitalist or something, and you see the person with a three-piece suit. Well, for all you know, he may be a person really deeply involved in, in supporting fundraising for world Doctors Without Borders, and he's yeah. going to a corporation to try to talk them into giving a million dollars to you know Doctors yeah. Without Borders. It might be a marvelous person. Uh, you, you know, your projections, basically, have a high degree of being erroneous. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: And then... You react to your projections emotionally as if they're really in the person,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so you have all sorts of emotional reactions. And depending upon mm-hmm. what your background is, a guy in in um, dreadlocks, maybe uh, you might be have a sort of whimsical, <clears throat> enjoyable f- sense of seeing such a person on the street with their marijuana T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. or you might see a business person. You know, do you treat that as sort of very negative experience, or mm-hmm. use, or can you be open about it? Just. Suspend your projection and see what's going on there yeah. you know so uh, this discussion this investigation then of how sense perception works and how conceptuality works then leads into this issue that our emotions are often shadow boxing with our own projections and the accuracy of them is highly
2: suspect yes so
1: wow. there's a lot more that can be gone into this is part of a larger you know set of Talks and lectures and topics that then yeah. get into how emotions work and so forth yeah. and so
0: on. So, that was a wonderful introduction. <laughs> wow, it's really interesting to hear how previous experiences as we move through life inform how we project, mm-hmm. how we see things, how we relate to the world, mm-hmm. how we use our consciousness. I'm finding that really interesting now. Mm -hmm. You've you've Mm kind of turned me on to that. And (laughs) and it's really interesting because a lot of the emotions that come up after that are coming from ego, which are this human construct thing. Mm -hmm. So so we're creating a narrative within our minds and maybe within our body language before Mm -hmm. we even have an interaction almost, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: Yeah, well... I mean, it, the ability to interpret things is, is one of the reasons humans have been such a successful species. You know, it's mm-hmm. sort of useful for survival, if you will, you know, to, to be able to interpret your environment in ways based on experience and based yeah. on memory. So it's got, a, you know, a real functionality and it's part of the reason why we really believe it, you know, and when you're so shocked. Like if you've ever uh, sat down in a chair and you're, like, you're really tired, you went running you know, for three miles, five yeah. miles, whatever, and you're really tired and you see a chair, it's not at your house, you're at a friend's house, you stop by a friend's house and you, oh, that looks like a comfortable chair and you sit, sit on it and it collapses. Mm-hmm. It's like we get this shock, we're like... How dare the world do this? Not meet our expectation. You know, like yeah. you get furious at the chair, and it was probably getting ready to fail. You know, for the last five years, it's been wearing out, and it just yeah. happens to fail. Or you think, oh wow, that looks like a really comfortable chair, and you sit on it, and it's like hard as a rock. Yeah, not and what I expected. Yeah, so wow. you get pissed off or irritated. Not what I projected. Mm, yes, yes. How dare you?
0: Not my projection. <laughs> cool. So here's a question for you. What, what types of sensing practices do you utilize and or teach to your students or anybody else that you work with? What kind of sensing practices can we practice as our, the listeners to mm-hmm. um, engage with mm-hmm. more of this?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, there's a wide range of ways of, of using the sense experiences you can do specific things like like we did with I asked you to think about the weight of an object and yeah. then pick it up. And uh, you can do this all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, just you can notice this. You're about to, like in winter, you're about to leave in the morning and you mm-hmm. reach for the doorknob, and the doorknob's way colder than you think because the outside's really cold, right? Yeah. There's this sort of uh, being grounded in the present, to actually experience it beyond your projection. So there's sort of a vividness to that. Uh, you can do things like aimless wandering, asking people to mindfully, you know, sort of in a meditative state, go out and walk in a park or yeah. even down a busy street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but from the point of view of experience, the sense, the vividness of the senses. Yeah. Um, so the senses can be a real ally in sort of waking you up, yeah. being present in yeah. the present moment with sort of freshness. Mm-hmm. And things are all, all always more complex than your concept of them. Mm -hmm. like you know look at a rock if you looked at a rock it's like a little universe of detail it's like a gorgeous painting or Mm -hmm. uh, looking at tree bark it's like amazing it's just incredible so uh, there's this sort of you could even say ordinary magic or sacredness about Mm. the directness of sense perception where you allow your conceptual mind to sort of Uh, suspend itself and just be present.
0: Yeah, we're all just creating ordinary magic all the time. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, the senses are giving it to you all the time
0: Yeah, if you pay attention. It's so wonderful. Mm -hmm. So I have another question as well. So you earlier you said you've been meditating for 40 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's really impressive, by the way. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, what kind of insights have you come up with? What has come to you within 40 years of sitting and being Mm -hmm. with yourself and Mm -hmm. consciously observing what comes up? How mm-hmm. is is there like a moment where you're just like, whoa, things have changed? Because mm-hmm. if you practice an art or mm-hmm. a musical instrument for forty years, you're you're mm-hmm. going to have some skill within mm-hmm. what you do. So, mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious, what kind of skills or developments have happened for you within forty years of meditating? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, there's lots of uh, dimensions to this. There's all sorts of insights that come along, so it's a gradual
2: process. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, sometimes if you if you hear of things like Vajrayana, this sort of esoteric tradition, passed from India to Tibet, there are ritual things, ritual uh, practices you can do. They're very complex and so forth. But you you can re- when you read the books, they'll use a term that shows up uh, in a number of them: ordinary mind. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of from an ego's point of view, it's uh, you could do these. What you might consider exotic practices of, you know, visualizing deities or so forth, mm-hmm. and from the tradition's point of view, there's a lot of huge. This a sense of humor that, in fact, the, all of the practices are pointing to this very ordinary state of mind that's not. It's an insult to ego, actually. Ego wants mm. to develop, you know, hey, I'm going to get these high esoteric states or whatever yeah. it is. <clears throat> and the humor of that is that, in fact, the, the state that of realization is extremely direct and simple and, mm. and mm-hmm. uh, not about ego and building yourself up. It's, it uh, cuts the ground out of arrogance and aggression. Yeah. Know? So it, produ- it should produce a kinder you know reasonable person yeah i'm not an arrogant oh i'm so sophisticated you know? the more you <laughs>
0: meditate the more ordinary things become yes in a way could you say? could
1: say but then again it's uh, sacred too it's yeah. uh, really quite interesting and you become very there's a kindness that you develop i mean a lot of people they 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 have the sense of ambition that i'm not mm-hmm. happy with myself and my life and i have to push myself and i'm critical of myself there's yeah. a lot of self-deprecation and the process of meditation creates this kindness to yourself, this mm-hmm. allowing yourself to really uh, flourish in a different way, in a way that's more human and more direct and
0: more yeah clear. You know? Wow. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. That was <laughs> sure. so beautiful. Uh, thank you. Awesome. So that was Phil Stanley on our podcast today, Distinguished uh, Professor in the Religious Department focusing on Hindu-Tibetan Buddhism and Tibetan language. (laughs) We'd
1: just like to thank you. Well, thank you. Pleasure to teach. Yeah. Yeah.
0: On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.